0: Being Reasonable, now heard on WHUP LP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Please fasten your seatbelts. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs, and we can do so by being reasonable.
1: One, two.
0: On this week's show, we first speak with professional spiritual advisor, Dr. Philip Young. Dr. Young discusses his belief in past lives and reincarnation. Next, we speak with Dr. Mark Francis, lead pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Dr. Francis discusses his belief in his faith and religious conversion. But first up, let's speak with Dr. Philip Young as he discusses his belief in past lives and reincarnation. Right, so I told you that I think to me that there is evidence that vaccines work and they're relatively safe for most. And let's say you- Okay, let me finish. Sure. If I saw evidence to the contrary, I would be willing to change that belief, those thoughts. I would be willing to change my mind on that. If I saw peer-reviewed evidence that eliminated the typical biases that are eliminated in most scientific experiments, I would absolutely change my mind on that. With your belief in past lives and regressions, could you say the same thing?
2: No, because it isn't the same measurement. And that was my point to you is let's say you present all of this information about vaccines, let's stay on the vaccine example. And I look at you and go, don't care. Not going to believe it. I'm going to stick with my belief that vaccines are dangerous. It doesn't matter how much evidence you mm-hmm. pour in front of me. Yeah. Now my question is, what are you going to do with me? I've decided that everything you've presented about vaccines is garbage. I don't care. I don't care if it's true or not. You're not going to change my I'm not belief. Ta-
0: I'm not saying what I'm going to do with you. What, <laughs> but what you, would saying, but, but, but what, you
2: would have to do something. You would have to avoid What I'm saying
0: it. Is, is that I am willing to change my belief, my thoughts on a matter, if I saw evidence to the contrary. That's my question. Right. And I'm asking you that question. And. I'm not saying what I'm going to do with you or who's going to do something with whoever. I'm just asking you that question. Right. And you're telling me that you said
2: no. No because I already know that there is plenty of evidence that would disregard astrology, tarot reading in terms of it being objective, but it's okay because it's an art form. It's not a science. It's not something that I'm trying to use to make sure that the house doesn't fall down because I'm making sure the weight on the beams is correct. I'm not trying to use it to drive me to and from a location and keep the rain off of me. I'm not using it in that way. So the idea of... Why showing, do we have
0: different standards for different types of information?
2: Because there's different types of information. Or different that types That don't of require knowledge. the same standards. right? How do you know a piece of art that you... I- I'm assuming you probably have some artwork in your home that you love. And let's say that that piece of artwork is something that is truly significant for you, but you mm. show it to me and I'm like, it's nice, but it doesn't move me the way it moves you.
0: Yeah, so we can go definitely perceive a piece of art differently, but there's probably an objective truth whether that art exists, what it's made out of. Um, sure,
2: but that doesn't that doesn't have any influence on whether you like it or not.
0: No, but we'd be able to agree that that piece of art is true and real, and that it objectively exists, right?
2: Sure, but okay. So, well, whoop dee do. We've agreed on that, but whether or not I want to so keep we, that art, so but but whether if, so, I want to value. But if that someone art,
0: says to you, "I know you <laughs> whoop dee do," but why couldn't we say that about another belief?
2: We we can't. That's I guess this is maybe maybe this could be the valuable moment we can reach in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that, and art is a good example of that. Right. There's an objectivity to art that has to do with it being painted on a canvas, mm-hmm. it having been used as a certain kind of acrylic paint, mm-hmm. right? Um, the objective things that go into it that make it real. We can touch it, we can hold it, mm-hmm. we can identify the age of it, whatever it happens right. to be, right? But whether or not we want to hang it in our home or we want to pay a certain amount of money for it or we consider it maybe the most important piece of art that's ever been shown to someone, is not gonna be measured by objective truth. Okay,
0: so in your belief with past lives, with regression, what part is the objective part and what part is the subjective part?
2: So the objective part is probably going to be the part that holds to the idea or the experience. Again, from my own objective experience, like I've had an experience and I am interpreting the experience this way but it was my objective experience that when i did a past life regression with a trained hypnotherapist that i experienced what i believe to be a past life
0: but was but did but objectively was it a past life to me yes was it objectively
2: to me it was true if you didn't how would you prove I'm and not it saying was how you'd a,
0: prove, th- but objectively speaking, I'm really trying to understand how you see it. I'm honestly really trying to understand how you. See sure. it. I'm trying to understand.
2: We're talking across purposes. It's, it's well. I, I really, really want to understand. this. No, I think we're at a point. I think we're at a point
0: here where I can really maybe get what you're coming from because we started with the art piece and like yes, we can perceive art differently. We can we can say that's art or that's not or that's not art. But we can agree in objective truth sense what it's made out of, the colors or I, whatever that is in the right. objective sense, and with your belief, I'm really trying to separate what you're seeing is the objective part versus what you're seeing is the subjective experience
2: of the okay. objective part. Let's let's see if we can't let's see if we can tease that out. So the objective part is that I went to see someone and they represented themselves as a hypnotherapist. And objectively, I sat down with them and I allowed them to go through a psychological series of steps that would put me in a hypnotic state. And a hypnotic state is, we can say is an objective experience. if we we can- uh, Hypnotherapy is just the objective tool that gets me to the reincarnation belief. That's what I'm—so, again, trying to connect the art and the example of what is the art that's the objective part of the art, the canvas, the paint, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. So, what's the part—what's the objective part of the reincarnation experience? It's the hypnotherapy. It's the steps to get into a trance state. There's an objective way to do that.
0: But what part is the objective part?
2: The objective part— Is reincarnation—
0: the fact no, that the reincarnation is not the objective not part. The objective that's part. not the objective okay. part.
2: That's I think that's where we've been trying. Okay. I uh, hope that's where we're trying to get to because okay. I feel like that's where that's the the bridge that we need to cross is that reincarnation is not objective. What is the objective part? The objective part is the experience. The experience is the same as the paint and the canvas. In other words, I went somewhere, I let someone hypnotize me. And that's tested. That's a that's a testable—this is what hypnosis looks like. We can objectively prove that someone that follows these steps can enter into what is scientifically researched as a trance state.
0: So if someone comes to you, and you communicate well. You're obviously a very nice person, and you have a real— uh, my sense about you is you have an emotional sense about others. And when people go to you, they sit down— and they are speaking to someone who is kind to them and who who helps see things in different perspectives and uh, gives them unconditional positive regard, and it's a helpful situation. What does the extra layer of the reincarnation give to that person?
2: That's a great question. Um, Actually, that's a really fantastic question. What I think it does, it gives people hope, which is not necessarily objective (laughs) but i think the idea for many people when i talk to them in detail about reincarnation is that the idea that this is not the only life experience and that maybe there are ongoing life experiences that you will get a chance to return um, and possibly be reconnected with other souls like part of a reincarnation conversation would be that you and I were meant to meet. This was supposed to be a soul experience between the two of us, and this could be a one-off. We could have this conversation, do this radio show, and you and I may never speak again. Um, Or it could be the beginning of a friendship that could extend over the rest of our lifetimes. Now, from a spiritual perspective, um, the way that that could be looked at is, objectively, we're just here today. Today is Monday, it is a certain time of the day, I've driven to your place, we're having a conversation. That's all objectively happening. But what it means to us is going to be subjective. And the idea of talking to people about reincarnation is to say, this is a belief. It is not an objective belief. The objectivity of getting a reading from me, the object part of it is an astrology chart, which I will lay on the table for you. I will lay out a picture of, the moment you were born. We will turn over cards. We could use playing cards. We can use cards that are have wonderful artwork on them. And we can have an exchange. And the object on the table is the cards. But, but why do we need any of that? Why do we, we don't actually why don't we just sit here and do what we're doing right now and talk? And and, and we, we do. Some people, that's all they want, but other people I know for myself, I love working with the cards. I love looking at an astrology chart. It triggers my imagination. It helps me think outside the box. It does things that, as a tool, is just fascinating. I guess the bridge I'm trying to, to gap is the reincarnation part is not the objective part. Okay. It's the belief part. Okay. And and the object is... Um, the objects that are the objectiveness. Is, I think
0: I think you're probably saying that all along, and I'm just... I can be dense sometimes.
2: No, look, it's... It, it, it's and I do
0: apologize for that.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I think that th- this is because where... Because I think I was make I think...
0: I really tried my best to see, to see things in, the, in a way of how my guests are seeing them. And I think maybe I um, probably made assumptions of what you were saying, given what you were bringing to the table. Typically when someone speaks to me about astrology or tarot cards, that person sees that aspect of it as the objective truth.
2: Right, I don't see it as the objective truth. What I see it as is a creative tool, which is why earlier on I said I don't like it when someone in my profession or however you want to define that decides to try to make an objective argument is that that's where you get into trouble. <laughs> we use objects and we try to make predictions or assumptions or we try to come to conclusions but one of the worst conclusions you can have with astrology is that it's deterministic, that it's going to give you an objective outcome. That's not what it's about. What is it about? You know, it's spiritual and, and it's, it's about the thing that you mentioned, which is people wanting to have a way of perhaps challenging a belief system that they've held that isn't working for them. And they want to explore an alternative viewpoint to see if that would work. And some people come in and they have the experience and go, nope, that was not for me. Other people come in and go, this has been so valuable. This has really moved me. I now have a shift.
0: Let me get your sense of things regarding people who come to you to get readings and things like that. Do you think that they believe that tarot and regression is objectively true?
2: Some do. Probably most do not. In fact, I think the people I enjoy working with the most are naturally skeptical. They're sort of like, it's almost like a lark. It's like, I'm gonna do this on a lark. I'll give this a try and it'll be sort of humorous. And then the experience becomes very profound for whatever reason, in large part because tarot cards are smartly designed. They're archetypes. All 78 cards represent archetypical experiences that we have in our lives and and they repeat, right? The cards are never going to be quote, wrong. They're not objectively right or wrong. They are smartly designed as archetypes so that when a person gets a reading, it allows them to make an interpretive decision.
0: Do you think the people who you're doing readings for, do you you think that they believe that something supernatural is occurring?
2: Some do, some do not. Do you? So, in other words, do, do you believe that? Do you? Be, I mean, do you
0: think something for, supernatural? For me
2: personally, I do believe that. That's just been my personal experience. But as I say to people, I can read the cards as an atheistic psychologist. In other words, you could sit across from me and go, "I don't believe anything spiritual." I'd be like, "That's fine. We'll just still go through this process, see if it does anything useful for you. We don't have to. We don't have to share a belief about this." But I'm also comfortable with someone that sits down and, and believes that there is a spiritual synchronicity for them being in my office, or they hold the belief that there is spiritual energy and they move through with the world with that belief functional in their lives. The answer I would usually give people is, I believe in all of the possibilities and none of the conclusions. So I try to meet people, and at least in my practice with what I do, where they are. I don't want them to believe what I believe. I don't want to change their beliefs. I just want to work with them if they'll let me know where they are. So someone will sit down and one of the first things out of someone's mouth will be, I don't believe in this. I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you think this conversation went?
2: <laughs> I love this conversation.
0: Okay, good.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, my background is uh, is rhetoric. That's that's what I I trained in. I got in. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: you know what? What I what I hope for always is that we're two people that are honestly trying to get to truth. So part of the
0: reason why I do this show is exactly because of this exchange. Yes, we live in a time where many of us have wildly different beliefs (laughs) about things, about how the world works. It seems now this is getting us into trouble.
2: I would agree with you 100%.
0: And a premise I have is that if we can try to figure out what is true, big T, sure. the more we can do that, the more we can have conversations where we are talking about the same things.
2: And you know what? I agree with you because I love to figure out where truth is. I certainly, when I you know, was teaching critical thinking, is I learned my lesson after teaching I don't know, several hundred students, maybe a thousand students, that evidence just isn't enough. The facts just don't speak for themselves. If the facts spoke so clearly and eloquently for themselves, we probably wouldn't have the kinds of disagreements that we do have. We would actually come to some sort of agreed upon solution that everyone could look at and go, yeah, that...
0: Why do you think the facts don't speak for
2: themselves? Because people, for whatever, maybe their history, the the way they um, experience things, that they have beliefs. And some of those beliefs that they really have or want to have or embrace aren't going to stand up to evidence. And they would rather not change their behavior because the evidence would require them to do so.
0: And back to the uh, uh, initial belief, the original belief, I'm still trying to wrap my head around is that these tools that you're using It would seem that there's an extra layer that there's just we're we're putting something else on a conversation that I'm really trying to understand. Why is that layer there? Why can't we just one person, like we're doing right now, sit across from another person and try to understand where we're all coming from, and not look at these cards and not talk about this the stars and not just what what are we talking about? What is what is can we have a conversation about true things that we're going through and not add this other stuff?
2: Of course. And, we're do, and we've done that, right? I didn't right. bring a deck of cards with me. We aren't sitting at a table reading cards together. Right. Although it might be an interesting and fun thing to do, right? And and see what, what your experience of it would be. That's where the—I think that's what's fascinating about your show being about belief is how does belief, whether it is evidentially based or not— lead people to make choices and to take action. Let's say that we know we want someone to quit smoking. And the first person that's saying to them is their parents, stop smoking, it's bad for you. And the next person is like a scientist that comes on and says, look, I can show you lung cancer. Or I can show you all these images. And they're like, still going to do it. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. And then they, on a lark, decide to stop by and see me, or maybe they go to an event. Mm-hmm.
0: So where they're not listening to science or they're not listening to parents or they're not listening to their friends, maybe some people will listen to tarot.
2: Right. And it doesn't even have to be through the experience with me. The example I often give people to understand kind of the way I think the tarot can work imaginatively is, let's say that you are trying to quit smoking and you go to a museum in New York. You're just on a, on a lark, you take a break, you're traveling, and you go into this museum and you walk up to a painting, for whatever reason, you look at the painting and suddenly it's transformative. You go, wow, I need to stop smoking. Mm-hmm. And whether, however you got to the stop smoking part, that's great because you got to the stop smoking part. It would be wonderful if the evidentiary-based argument would do it, but if it doesn't and another one does, there's value in that, whether it's evidentiary-based or not.
0: And in the beginning of the conversation, I asked you, How important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real? And what you're saying is the fact that it can work for people is true and real, but whether tarot taps into some greater truth about the world that's a belief that's not on that scale that I was using.
2: Right. It's not going to be, you're not going to be able to get an objective answer for that question. Like you said, it's this layer, right? I mean, it's a great description you had cards, thing, object. Right? But do, do you think that in
0: the long run, we'd all move forward better in a society if we move towards those things that are shown to be true and real, or is that just...
2: I think what would help us move forward as a society is to be compassionate and to be willing to realize that people do have different beliefs. And what we want to ascertain is, is a belief that someone holding helpful, harmful, or maybe just enjoyable. I mean, we haven't even talked about the possibility that maybe it's just fun Mm -hmm. to hold some beliefs. They don't have to solve a problem Mm -hmm. or prove anything to be true. They can just be, I enjoy believing that.
0: But I'm I'm just going to divulge one thing which I haven't divulged on the radio yet because I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and part of practice in the past is cognitive behavioral therapy. Sure. Cognitive behavioral therapy rests on the premise that we have beliefs that are not true, that are illogical. Right. That where maybe they were, these beliefs were functional at some point, now they're getting into trouble because they are bumping against reality, things that are true and real.
2: And external pressure is greater than what the belief system can tolerate.
0: Right. And— Part of what cognitive behavioral therapy does is, is, is it tries to root out those inconsistencies, those illogical views, the misperceptions of the world, and tries to correct those. And it's very difficult for the patient because, or human beings, because it's, it involves changing a belief system. Right. And where I just get so confused is that when I'm looking at what you're doing, is that we have a layer that could be seen to be working against those aims. As we are saying, we are using things that are not necessarily, we are using tools that are not necessarily based in reality or truth, big T, to help people live better in reality and use better thought processes and have less misperceptions in their lives. Does
2: that make sense? It does. Absolutely. I guess the question maybe then is, can that be acceptable? Can there actually be, you know, it's it's kind of like, I guess, asking can.
0: And I'm wondering if if that works, using misperceptions to create better, more in-line perceptions.
2: That's a great question. I mean, I think it's, so um, a book I would recommend you might find interesting is um, Tarot in Psychology by um, Dr. Rosengarten. And what was really fascinating about this particular book on tarot is that he works heavily with schizophrenic patients. And he found that by using the tarot cards in his therapeutic sessions with them, that the tarot cards represented an object on the table that the schizophrenic, had to engage or would engage in logical ways because it was an object on the table that prevented the schizophrenic from being deceptive with him by just talking to him. So when you ask about why use the tool, sometimes it's because the tool can actually provide a bridge that simple dialogue can fail to accomplish. And so if you like, for example, ask me what's objective about astrology and let's ignore planets in the sky and let's go with the signs of the zodiac, right? So if I were to say someone is an Aries or someone is a Taurus, there are things that are said about those signs that cannot be said about the other signs. They become objectively defined a certain way subjectively by the users. And then there's mass agreement of, uh, of, the, of the group of astrologers that will say, If I talk about Aries, I'm going to be talking about independence and maverick behavior and uh, uh, focus on the self. And if I talk about Taurus, I'm going to be talking about concerns around security, um, establishment, what it takes to feel safe. And I wouldn't say those things about Aries because Aries has different things that are said about it. And I wouldn't say the Aries things about Taurus. I'm in a way objectifying them. But then when we put them between us and we sort of go back and forth as we're passing through the object you know if you will mm. there is a potential for transformation that we may not be able to achieve simply in dialogue so back to your original question why can't we just talk we can but sometimes talking isn't enough sometimes throwing an object in can actually be the very thing that moves the cognitive shift
0: you are listening to being reasonable on WHUP, coming up next, we speak with Dr. Mark Francis as he discusses his belief in his faith and religious conversion. Well, so what does that proverb
3: mean to you then? Yeah, I learned it early on after becoming a, um, a Christian as a teenager, and it lets me know a couple of things. One is I can trust a God who is trustworthy. He is trustworthy, and it also reminds me that as God, He is sovereignly in control of all things. He knows things I don't know. He does; he can do things I can't do. And it also puts me in my place in, in a sense of my own understanding, as, as the verse says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own understanding. My own understanding is limited and finite and less than the whole. And so that passage tells me that to trust in something beyond myself and that I can't always trust in myself. Are you saying that the proverb
0: means that your knowledge is limited and that because it is limited, you therefore need to trust in something else? Is that what you're saying?
3: Absolutely. That's a great way to okay. say it. it I, I, I'm limited, but I have access to God who is unlimited. And so as I trust in Him, His wisdom, His... Uh, knowledge, his purpose and plan is unfolded before me in ways that I could never see and discover on my own. How confident are
0: you in this belief? You've heard the show. So on a scale from one to seven, what would you say your confidence level is of that? Seven plus. I mean, it's, it's got to be. And how important is it for you to believe in things that are true? One to seven. Seven, absolutely. How do you know this is true, that where your knowledge ends, the source where you are seeking this additional knowledge is reliable? How do
3: I know that the source beyond my Limitations of knowledge. Is reliable? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Because my trust, my faith is, is not a blind faith. There is evidence to support that what I believe is true and is real and in many cases, discovering things now that were previously outside of my knowledge that have proved to be true, proven to be the wise thing to do, even at the time I did not think it would be. Maybe a good example would help me to understand where you're coming from. Sure. Oh, here, here's here's a good one. I, uh, I, w- I was raised in, in Durham. I was raised in a family, uh, a non-religious family. Uh, I was raised in a home with... A father who was uh, quite promiscuous and uh, uh, quite uh, unmoral, immoral, and mm. amoral—many different words to uh, to describe that. Mm. And so, I grew up basically looking to follow in, in those in those footprints, follow following those tracks. And so, morally speaking, there was a time when, when as a, an older child and a younger teenager, and, and it came time to have that heart to heart with my dad. You know, my dad says to me, "You know, here's what you have to remember." I said, "Don't ever bring him home pregnant." Something okay. okay, he says use protection. Okay. So that was my moral training from my dad. Mm-hmm. It, at the time, it seemed perfectly normal. That's what everybody else was doing, so to speak. I was not connected in any way religiously. So down the road, becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, recognizing that sexual morality is to be lived out within the confines of, of marriage is, is 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 an area where I just saw the great wisdom of that. Down the road, my previous upbringing was. If it feels good, do it, do your thing. Don't bring them home pregnant. Now I realize that morality, that mindset is an error. So you grew up in a household
0: where you didn't have a good moral compass. And I think what you're saying is, is that when you joined the church, that is something that you gained that you didn't have. And for you, that
3: is the reliable evidence that you use that this belief is true. Yes, one, yeah, one piece of evidence, absolutely. And coming into the church, I was the kid you didn't want to see coming to church. I was the disruptor. I was there for the fun, the activities, the the, the girls, the uh, everything, but learning about anything about God. But over time of being involved in a church, I began to see things in in the lives of of those people who were there, other teenagers. The adults, the 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 men and women who were leading the church, the pastor, and just saying, there's something there that I don't have, and I'd always heard all the church wants is your money, uh, it's just a crutch to lean on, and so I went into it kind of with that that skewed mentality, and only to discover, you know, there's something here that was drawing me to investigate more, and uh, that was a good a good spot to be in.
0: So obviously, the church had a very positive effect on your life, you might have gone down a different, darker path if you didn't have the influence of the church and the people in the church to guide you and help you see right from wrong. Is that correct to say that is a primary reason why you think or believe that this belief is true?
3: I would say that's one evidence. Uh, that's, That's one of probably many personal experiences that I've had that would demonstrate that the faith I profess is true. But, but there's also other evidences that I, I, I would easily point to as well. My, my first experience of faith was, again, a, a skewed look at, at who the people of the church were and what they were about, but then became a conversion experience for me personally, not just being in the church, but, but a personal conversion that I had towards uh, in becoming a Christian that has molded and shaped my life. So my first experiences were observational, emotional, spiritual, but then over time, pursuing being in ministry, going to, to school, to seminary, studying, looking at different are, avenues of, of science and history and archaeology. And just there, there's so many avenues that confirm faith beyond just simply saying I had a good experience at a church or I had an emotional experience. Those things come and go. So the reasons why
0: you have the belief you have is not just the initial reason you told me, but it seems like there's a wide range of reasons and evidence that you rely on. Would there be any evidence that would come along that would be disconfirming for you at
3: this point? Or is that not where you are in your life? Evidence that would be disconfirming. Um... I would say, I would say no, because I feel like uh, a seven, my, you know, my faith is, is, is firmly rooted. Uh, I feel like I've, I've got a firm foundation for that faith, but I do know that there are those who uh, fight against, war against uh, the Christian faith, my, my faith uh, throughout history, uh, even in our current times. I, uh, uh, feeling called to ministry, I I did, I did what, uh, what I thought I should do educationally. I went to the great spiritual center the university of north carolina at chapel hill (laughs) became a religion major and and discovered and in in retrospect has been very helpful discovered the approach of my professors and even the the department of religion as a whole at unc had some great experiences great professors not not nothing negative but the challenge was that they were coming at it from an intellectual not a belief system themselves so i found myself all through through college having to really measure and, and debate and decide, is what I believe real or not? Because I was getting hammered left and right with reasons, disconcerting reasons, why I shouldn't believe. So if I understand you correctly,
0: I think you're telling me at this point, there's really no information that you could learn at this point that would disconfirm what you believe. And since you've listened to the show, you might've heard this thought experiment, and I'll just say it very quickly, that if I believe that Buddy Holly is a literal God. He was a musician, he died, he rose, now he's a God. And if I told you that I thought Buddy Holly was a literal, actual God, and there was nothing anybody could say to change my mind on that, what would you think about my belief in Buddy Holly?
3: I would think that you were completely there. I would look to try to engage you to Ask of you ask you questions. You know why do you have that belief? And I would look for an opportunity to share with you my belief and the reasons that I have my belief. Do you think, do you think it would be worth engaging
0: with me about my belief if I told you that there's nothing anyone can say that I would just nothing's going to change it? So, do you think that conversation would be
3: worthwhile? Absolutely. Uh, I've I've had conversations with with all with people who have all kinds of beliefs, and even. If you come to the point of well, we just have to agree to disagree. We can still be friends. We can still have a dialogue. Uh, it helps me to know where you're coming from and where other people are coming from. But how all- would you
0: help me know that I'm in error? What line of reasoning would you use sure. to help me?
3: Yeah, that's yeah, great. I, th- I think like for me, there's a personal experience element. There's a a scriptural element. There there there's the there's the Bible that is the source of authority. There is all the ways that Christianity has impacted. Culture, society, people, lives, and how they've been drawn to faith in Christ uh, beyond just a singular belief that you know Buddy Holly is God, and then there are people that probably have that very belief, if not uh, many other beliefs as well. But but ultimately, it comes down to, it, it comes down to faith. Faith is the, is the only evidence that I have that what I believe is true. And by faith, we mean a, a complete, absolute trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Faith is trust. Yes. So again, back Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart is, is faith. With, without that, in fact, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So ultimately, all evidence that I may share with you or or with Buddy Holly or whoever it may be, it all comes down to to faith. Will you believe this truth as I see truth or as the scripture would reveal, as the Bible would reveal it, or or do you not? It's not up to me to convince anybody, I can't. I can't even convince my kids where to go eat fast food at, so it's hard to <laughs> the, the, the you know enforce belief on them in that way.
0: So if I say I
3: have faith and trust
0: that Buddy Holly is God, and I can't convince you that, but I know it's true because Buddy Holly has talked to me and he's answered my prayers. Are we at an impasse at that point? And I just have faith in what I believe, and you have faith in what you believe, or is there something? Is there? a test that we can do or something that we can discuss or reason out or something that can get us closer to what is the truth. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Uh, yeah. As far as the test goes, I don't know of a test, but my, my experience has been in dealing with people that have differing beliefs than I do that, that, you know, cordially, hopefully we can have a discussion. We get to the point where uh, we just have to agree to disagree. And what I'm going to do for, for a person who thinks Buddy Holly is God or, or anybody else. I'm gonna go outside of that discussion. I'm gonna pray for that person because I really believe I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that that God is able to, to answer our prayers as we pray in conjunction with his will. And I I, I have this thought in my mind that, that one day when I get to heaven, uh, somebody or a group of people are gonna approach me in heaven. They're gonna say, yeah, we're the ones that were praying for you because uh, I was, I, again, I was the kid with no interest in, in spiritual things. Um, were it not for a powerful experience of conversion, uh, I would have not pursued God in any way whatsoever. If I said that I believe in Buddy Holly as God and I'm going to pray for you, mm-hmm. how does that
0: sound to you when I say that? Well,
3: being a seven on the scale of my beliefs, that's like, well, okay, you're, you're free to do that uh, and and that's fine. If, if, if what I believe is true, and, and what I believe from, from what the Bible teaches is that God created the world, He created mankind in His image, and that God desires a relationship with us through faith in Jesus Christ. If I believe that, then what I have to believe is that also includes you, regardless of your personal faith or beliefs, and that by me praying that uh, God is going to hopefully work in your circumstances, to draw you to a place of conversion and faith in the same way that He did with me uh, as a teenager. So, if God does not do it, if God does not reveal Himself, if God does not draw you to Himself or me to Himself through faith, it's not going to happen. And the problem a lot of people have is they they want to argue those points, they want to they they want to you know, demand and 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 insist. And and the reality is you can you can arm twist somebody to, to go through a religious ritual. You can arm twist them to go to church to say certain words, but if there's not a conversion of the heart through faith, th- there's nothing I can do in that regard. So
0: how is it in that case that trusting something, that way you're using faith, trusting in something, how does that relate to the truth value of that thing that you're trusting in being true? Mm-hmm.
3: If if it's not true, then it's worthless. Um, If if what I'm believing in with all my heart is not accurate, then I'm wasting my time. To
0: respond to that, um, could someone trust in something, an entity, and the act of trusting in that thing has a very positive effect on that person's life? You can trust in something, and because you trust in that Thing, that you're a better person and you're more moral, but does that necessarily speak to the truth value of that thing being
3: true? That's a great question. And I, I'd say no, it does not speak to the truth value. For, for example, um, uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, which I have a lot of respect for. Um, they have, as I understand it, an object, you know, you, you have to have an object of your belief. It mm-hmm. may be the Christian God, it may be the tree, it may be a chair,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but you, you, you express a belief in something. And, to have a belief in something, even if it's not true, if that brings about positive change in your life, your morals, your behaviors, that that is good in the sense of your current physical life because it does bring you a benefit. Absolutely. So
0: how do we separate something being true versus something being beneficial?
3: I don't know that you can always do that. There are probably uh, scientific experiments you can run on Chemicals or dirt or rocks uh, that may dictate some sort of truth. Well, for example,
0: your belief, obviously, your faith has had a very positive effect on your life. You're a better person. By all accounts, you would have gone down a different road if you didn't have your faith. So it's been helpful. How do we know that it's
1: true? Mm -hmm.
3: Right? Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. Great question. Well, yes, my faith has been helpful. If, if, if my faith had been in a brick wall and the brick wall had affected these changes in my life and brought me to the place where I'm at now, uh, I would be eternally grateful to the brick wall. But the brick wall would, act in all actuality, not have been true because it, it's just a brick wall. So there What would,
0: would you do at that point if you—let's say you did believe in a brick wall, a brick wall was God— and that wall helped you, and then you realize that brick wall was not a god.
3: I'm just yeah, it's just I'm yeah, it's, it's, it's you know and that's that's a scenario probably you know people get to for a variety in a variety of different avenues of life. Yeah, you know, I, I would hope at that point of, of being able to say, well, you know, the brick wall was there when I needed it, and it got me to this point. I recognize its limitations, and I'm now going to move forward stronger in my in in my morals and stronger in my character, and I can. Put the brick wall in its place and move forward would you put something in place of that brick
0: wall, or would you put nothing in place in place of that brick wall, or would you just not think about it I'm just trying to think that through yeah. myself like what I would what would I do if I yeah. literally believed that a brick wall was God, and then I realized that although helpful that brick wall is not god i'm
3: trying to think of how I would adapt you, my life yeah, what do you do from that point forward and that's, that's, a, that's you know a great scenario I don't i don't exactly know what I think my response would be there. One, I've never been there, but would I have felt like I've gotten to a, a source, a, a place of strength to the point where now I can go on, I don't need the brick wall, or do I look for something else? You know, is it the skyscraper? <laughs> yeah. Next, that sure. would be uh, the next step in that.
0: So back to my example with Buddy Holly as God, let's say for the purposes of this example, Buddy Holly is not a God. He's a dead musician but I believe He's a God. And how would I be able to go about knowing the truth, that my belief is false, mm-hmm. if I'm not willing to entertain that my belief could be false? Yeah.
3: Well, first of all, you know, faith and belief is such a personal thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you have that belief, you're not willing to consider that it's not true. Mm-hmm. So while you and I may have a conversation. You know, you've got the door closed. Right. We may have a courteous conversation. The door's closed. We, we part as hopefully friends and uh, you know build a bridge at some point forward. Continue the discussion. I would like to do that um, if I'm sitting where I am.
0: Have you ever gotten through to someone who has said something along those lines that I believe in X and there's nothing going to change my belief in X and you were able to change their belief in X? Yeah,
3: I, I, I'd, I'd say it this way, that... that I believe that only God can change a human heart. So anything that I would have to do with that would just simply be a, a conversation through which God would work. And so um, have there ever been people? There there have been people that I've had the, the privilege over the years of talking to who have professed their faith in Jesus Christ, become a convert to Christianity out of no belief at all, some from um, other religions. And usually it's a process. It's not a one-time, you know, Let's, let's let's exchange ideas and see who sounds better. But but there have been those who have come to faith.
0: I think that? that happens in other religions, where like someone is uh, Muslim and prays to Allah, and that person has had experiences where people from other religions have gone come to their religion, and people who are Muslim have had some kind of conversion experience. Do you think it goes with,
3: absolutely? Yeah, yeah. And, and every every group will report so many people from this group came to be a part of our group and. I don't know how helpful that is, but yes, it does happen. It absolutely happens. There are people who are professing Christians who become members of a variety of other religions.
0: That doesn't necessarily speak to the truth value of a religion being true, right? Or am I not seeing it correctly?
3: Yeah, the fact that, that a person would leave one religion to go to another only would speak that it has been true for them. Not yeah. that it's true scientifically across the board, provable.
0: Yeah, I think an aim of this show is to get down to, and it's a tall order, (laughs) something that is universally true, true for everybody, true Mm -hmm. for me, true for you, whether we're sitting and talking or not, whether we even exist or not, something that's true in the world. I mean, would you agree
3: with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know, from the standpoint of Christianity, you know, it's not a localized religion. It's not for one group at the expense of another group. It, it, It is for all people, all time, universally true. It's, that's the claim of Christianity. If something is
0: universally true and someone arrives at that thing being universally true based on faith, then how do we know
3: that it is true? That's the question of the ages. In, in the Bible, it says, we're saved or made right with God by grace, God's undeserved blessing to us—we're we're saved by grace through faith, and, and and faith is the evidence of things not seen, according to the Bible. So, so there, there's a sense at which for for the Christian faith, it all comes back to it always comes back to an issue of faith, not a tangible, provable thing I can do right now that I can sit here and say, "Look at this object I brought in my pocket. This proves that you know Christianity is true." That there, there's nothing out there like that.
0: All things being equal, would you rather have faith in the things that you believe or think, or would you rather have evidence in the things that you
3: believe or think? or Would I rather have faith or evidence? Yeah. Um, I think that I would say faith simply because, you know, again, from the Bible, that, that's the requirement is faith. The requirement is not evidence. In fact, you know, faith is evidence to God of our belief. Say it again. Faith. Faith is evidence to God Explain that I that. believe. I'm just
0: trying to understand where you're coming from. Yeah. How, how is that?
3: Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, so you know, if if I'm God and mm-hmm. and you want to, to be a follower, um, you know, I'm going to say, here's what you have to do. You have to do X, Y, and Z in order to come into my kingdom. God doesn't say you have to clean up your life. He doesn't say you have to turn over a new leaf. You have to give a certain amount of money. You have to sell everything to the, and give it to the poor. He doesn't say that. He says, you have to have faith. You simply, simply have to believe. So
0: I have a number of chickens in my yard and they're, they're either an even or odd number of chickens. And I might not know the answer and you might not know the answer. If I want to know the answer, how could we go about finding the answer? Would a way to go would be I have faith that there is either an even or an odd number of chickens, or trust that there is a certain number of chickens, or would another way to go would be to have evidence in the sense to count
3: the chickens? Mm-hmm. So as far as the chickens go, yeah, you know, of course. You know, what uh, towards what end would you? Would it matter if they're even or odd? If if they're if they're an odd number, then we're going to make it an even number and eat one for supper, or is it that well, I want to know the truth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, I want to know truth. universal truth.
0: Yeah. Is it true or not true? Okay. Okay. I got you. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: So, if, so, so in that regard, um, I
0: see there's evidence I could find that
3: answer, and also there's a faith yeah. that I could find that answer. If it's chickens, let's go out and count them, because that that way we can know we can know the truth.
0: So, in that case, you're saying that evidence is more reliable in faith. In
3: chicken counting, yes.
0: Okay. okay. Absolutely, but not in what you're saying
3: you're... well in, in, in well in the Christian faith you know, everything that the Christian faith centers around an actual historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that happened 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So in, in the New Testament book of Acts, which is the history of, of how the church kind of got up, got started, how the the message spread, you've, you've got this guy Paul who was a Jewish rabbi. Convert, convert to Christianity, he's going out to Gentile areas outside of Israel and he's telling them this message of Jesus. He, he's the son of God, He, he died in our place for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day and if you put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven and you can go to heaven. So that was the message then, simply to believe or not believe the event that happened. And eternity hangs in the balance, so to speak. I see
0: where you're coming from. And this show is about how we know what we know and what are reliable ways to know how we know what we know. Sure. I'm trying to understand how in some areas it's better to rely on evidence, like in chicken counting, and in some areas it's better to rely on faith, such as in someone's religious tradition. And I'm not talking necessarily about your tradition specifically. I'm trying to understand, like, what makes certain ways of knowing more reliable than other ways of knowing? Because it would appear to me that if we're all functioning sort of in the same universe, right, mm-hmm. that there are superior ways of knowing things and maybe less superior ways of knowing things, uh, all things being equal. Right. I could be wrong.
3: Yeah. Well, here's, here's something very important, too, though. There, there's this message, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, down on the cross, buried, raised from the dead, believe in him in the same way that you might have a message buddy holly musician died buried raised again now god you know you've got those two equal statements out there you know why is one better than the other yeah and what evidence is there right <clears throat> so so for the christian faith the, the evidence that we have is the message of resurrection the empty tomb but then you've also got a variety of other evidences that we can point to that don't don't necessarily prove Christianity, but it's evidence that Christianity is true. From the WHUP
0: studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.
1: Something is to be. Guess it's better than something. Something's better than nothing. Something is what something is to be. Guess it's better than something. Something's better than nothing. Something is. something is what something is be guess it's better than something something's better than nothing something is what something is be guess it's better than something something's better than nothing something is what something Nothing is what something used to be Guess it's better than something Something's better than nothing Cause nothing is what something used to be Guess it's better than something Something's better than nothing